We are still finishing up today, Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Um, we've used this, these two verses to dig a little bit deep, not just in what's being spoken of here, but also giving us a little bit of understanding of God's view on money, wealth, riches, possessions, all those sorts of things. We looked at the good, the bad, and the ugly the last couple weeks uh, with the ugly finding itself that if you trust in riches, money, possessions, they will fail and you will fall. And that was sort of the conclusion we came to last week. Now, um, again, we have alluded to those things being like fire where... As they in themselves are not good nor bad, God blesses us with uh, riches, wealth, possessions. Uh, but if we play with fire or money without wisdom, we could get burnt. And so I, I've taken verses 5 and 6 sort of in this stair-step method. right? Verse 5 being keep yourself free from the love of money, at least the beginning of it. And I want to apply the next portion of that passage as the key to unlocking keeping ourselves free from the love of money. Ultimately, this is what I mean. To keep yourself free from the love of money, you must be someone who is content in your current situation. Right? So you want to keep yourself free from the love of money? Be content. Well, the next stair step is the key to contentment, which is where we are today. We're going to talk for a moment about contentment, uh, what it is, why we might be discontent. We're going to talk about then the key to finding true contentment, which is ultimately satisfaction in Christ. Okay, so contentment. Let me pray first. Let me read. I'm sorry, I'm ahead of myself. Let me read five and six. Let me ask the Lord to bless the preaching of his word, and then we're going to look at contentment. Verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Father, we open up your words, to seek your wisdom, to be taught more about your way of life, to seek contentment in our current situation, whether we have much or little. But ultimately, God, our desire, our hope, and your will is that we know you more and then therefore find contentment in all situations. Bless this preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So how, basically what, we, what, we're, what we're getting to is how do you handle money, riches, possessions, things of the world? How do you handle things of the world and not get burnt? Um, and contentment is key. Contentment is key in keeping yourself from acting foolishly with the things of the world. So what is contentment? 
What is contentment? Well, I'll just I want to give you this easy, simple, straightforward definition. It's being satisfied. Contentment is being satisfied, regardless of your situation. Um, whether you have run out of chocolate chip cookies or you have an abundance of chocolate chip cookies, you're content with what's in the drawer, right? You're content with what's in the cookie jar. That's just a really simple understanding. Whether there is a lot or a little, you find yourself satisfied, okay? Um, look, we're going to just read Philippians 4 because Paul outlines very well what contentment looks like in Philippians chapter 4. I'm not going to go through these verses, look at it word by word, but I, it's pretty self-explanatory. Philippians 4 verse 10 He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. They didn't have an opportunity to give to help him. Verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So Paul says whether there's a lot in the cupboard or the cupboard's empty, whether the gas tank is full or it is on E, whether the bank account is busting at the seams or it's empty, he has learned to be content. He says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hungry abundance and need. Now, I want to take just a minute to put before you the fruit of a content heart and the fruit of a discontent heart. And then I'm going to challenge you to evaluate your heart. What is the fruit of a content heart? Number one, sober-mindedness. Sober-mindedness. What does that mean? Biblically, sober-minded, sober-mindedness means that you, when it comes to your mindset, maybe even your emotions, are steady. Whether you have a lot or a little. Whether things are going crazy or whether things are calm. Whether things are going good or bad, you are steady. Your mind and your emotions don't go up and down with the times or the needs, right? You're sober-minded. You're straight-thinking no matter the situation. The second, grateful. A content heart is grateful. You don't have anything. Nothing's in the cupboard. How can you be grateful? There's always something to be grateful for, right? There's always something to look around and say, the Lord has blessed me here or there. Number three, joy. The, a content heart is joyful. Because why? A content heart knows that the Lord 
provides, the Lord cares, the Lord keeps, the Lord blesses. Uh, seek first uh, the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. If you have absolutely nothing except the kingdom of God, there is every reason to be joyful. Every reason to be joyful. And fourth and finally, the fruit of a content heart, and of course this isn't exhaustive, is humility. Why? Because even if there is little or a lot, where has it come from? The Lord. And so a content heart is a humble heart, a sober-minded heart, grateful and joyful. Now, in opposition, the fruit of a discontent heart. It's very simple. You just do the opposite of those. Instead of being sober-minded, you're emotionally up and down, whether you have some, a lot, or a little. You let you fly off the handle because of the situation around you. You're difficult to deal with when there is less money in the bank account. You're not sober-minded. Number two, always finding something to complain about. A discontent heart is, is typically not grateful. There's always something to grumble about. Even when there's too much, an uncontent heart can be grumbling because there's not enough or it's not the right kind. Uh, the third, the opposite of joyful, is lacking joy. Number four, to the opposite of humility, is pride. Expecting the best outcome. No, uh, thinking they deserve the best outcome. Getting angry and upset because the cupboards aren't full or the gas tank isn't uh, um Filled all the way up. And what happens when you put those things together? Discontentment leads to ugliness. It leads to greedy, envy, and dishonesty. And one of the most one of the most hard things about a discontent person is that they're very difficult to be in a relationship with. A discontent person is very difficult to stay in a healthy relationship with. And so we've got that, we've got that, uh, those two things laid out. The fruit of a content heart and the fruit of a discontent heart. The test of a good Christian, I don't want to say good Christian, the test of a Christian or whether or not they are willing to be confronted by the truth of the word of God. Let me say that again. A Christian should be ready to be examined by the Word of God and to hold up the, the fruit of what uh, a spirit-filled Christian ought to look like, one who finds contentment in all situations, and then evaluate, reflect, confess, and repent. And it might not just be money and finances and things, but it might be your career your discontentment in your career. You might be discontent in the car you drove here today. You might be discontent in the house you live in. You might even be discontent with your family dynamic. So don't just consider and evaluate your heart when it comes to money, but in all areas of your life. Are there areas, like you might have it 
figured out when it comes to money and possess. You're like, I don't need anything. I'm happy with what I got. But what about your marriage? You find discontentment there? What about in the joy the neighbor has with their son or their daughter? See, there are many areas in our life where we can actually find discontentment and then become envious, jealous, and lead to hatred. So evaluate your heart, the areas of your life, and then ask the Lord to help you, to reveal to you where you fall short in being content. And if you really want to go the extra mile, ask your spouse. Now, two things there. Number one, spouse, remember the log and speck thing, okay? Before you go pulling the speck out of your spouse's eye, remember that you might have a log in yours. But also if you ask your spouse, hey, what area of my life do you seem that I am discontent in? If you ask, be ready to receive, okay? Uh, But also understand that if you are aware of an area in your life that you have struggled with contentment, I would be more than happy to spend some time with you in prayer and seeking in the Word of God together and just uh, tackling that together, seeking to put that sin to death with you. So please feel free to reach out to me at any time when it comes to that. So why are we prone to discontentment? Because let's all be honest, we are. We're prone to discontentment. What drives us in that direction? Well, we'll steal a phrase of our culture. We're just born that way. We're born discontent. Right? It's in our nature, our inner being, our souls hunger for satisfaction. Our, ho- our souls desire fulfillment. And why is that? It's because of how you were created and by whom you were created. You were created by God, for God, and you were created in the likeness and image of God. Now, if you think about that, you think about mankind in the beginning living in Eden, living in paradise. Walking in the cool of the day with God, created for that fellowship with Almighty, created by the maker of heaven and earth to dwell with the I am. And if you look around and Adam and Eve looks around, no one else in all creation was created for that very thing, created to be satisfied and fulfilled in a relationship with their Creator. Now, that has been passed down from Adam and Eve to generation to generation and to generation for all who has ever lived. Right? Solomon says it in Ecclesiastes, God has put eternity in the hearts of man. And that's in context of the rest of the creation, we realize and know that each and every one of us were made by the dust, and where will we return? To the dust. But each and us 
each and every one of us also know that we were created for more than the dust. That there is more to life than just being born and being dead. That we were made for something more than just to work, to eat, to drink, to be merry, and then go six feet into the ground. But we've been deceived into thinking the temporary things of this world can fulfill that eternal longing and desire that we were created for. The eternal, unlo- the eternal longing has been carried on through creation and mankind. But so has that seed of deception. Think about it in the beginning of the garden, or in the beginning in the garden with Eve. She was in the most, she was in abundance. God said, you can have everything here, but just don't touch that. Don't eat that. Everything is yours except that God gave Adam and Eve an abundance. Then Satan came to deceive Eve. And what did she decide? This tree will satisfy me. Not all this other stuff, but I need this tree to be satisfied for contentment. She even convinced herself of the good that could come from the forbidden fruit. What'd she say? She says, oh, it's good for food. Oh, it's, it's so sweet to look at. It's a delight to the eyes. And it can make one wise. But see, we have to understand that we do that very same thing. We validate our desires for more stuff or different stuff. We validate our desires for the things we've been told not to have or to love by calling them good and making excuses for them. How many, how many affairs and ultimately marriages ended because a man says, I was not satisfied. I wasn't treated as I was deserved. But my mistress, she loves me and treats me as I should be. Discontentment. What about, a, what about your career ambitions? Discontent with the current position or salary or the amount of power or reputation? Or how good we are at hobbies or, or practices? Our self-ambition leads us away from what we're called to men as husbands and fathers, providers and protectors, and send us down vain, wandering roads chasing after the wind, discontent with where we are and what we have. Now, I'm not – godly ambition is good, but when selfish ambition takes over, it destroys what about what about the woman who desires to keep up with all the women around her, seeking to look and to sound and to be and to have just as if everyone else does, to show off on social media or to show up to the ball game wearing the, the best thing or having the best colored hair, draining the bank account and overran by boxes in the garage from Amazon? Discontent. Discontent. By nature, the desires of our hearts were created so large because it was only to be filled 
by God Almighty. But what we try to do is fill it with this microscopic thing of the world. It would be like the desires of our heart created by God would be like the Grand Canyon, and we are trying to fill it with a water hose by buying this or having that or accomplishing this or taking that. But it will never be enough. And therefore our souls crave because they are empty. You know that belly, when your belly rumbles? It's because you're not satisfied. You're not filled. You need food. Well, when you try to fill the desires of your heart, the satisfaction that only comes through God, when you try to fill that with the things of the world, you will crave more and more and more because you are never satisfied. It's like trying to live a a life on a diet of Pringles and Dr. Pepper. You'll never be satisfied. The world tells you, don't just have another have another can of Pringles. Maybe try the sour cream kind. And our flesh falls for it every time. Now, is, there's a there's a bit of a warning here, and we've I've started started to allude to it altogether. It is if you take verse five of of uh, Hebrews, it says to keep yourself free from the love of money. You can find. An unbeliever who has become very good and wise financially. They've kept themselves free from the love of money and they have been satisfied or content with what they have. But what happens? They seek it somewhere else. They seek satisfaction and contentment in something else the world has to offer. So don't just think that just because you can keep yourself free from the love of money that you... We'll be doing the right thing. Because remember, verse the verse right ahead of that said, keep the marriage bed undefiled. Do you not think of a lack of contentment is going to cause you to, to do that very thing? If you're tempting, if you're, if you're going to attempt to keep yourself free from the love of money and to be satisfied in all situations and you do it apart from the Lord, you will simply find something else. To seek contentment in. And this is how we get to the key to contentment. It's not just buckling down and doing the right thing and being wise. You must find the key to contentment. Now let's go back to Hebrews 13 and see the key to contentment. It's at the end of verse 5 in the beginning or in all of 6. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Here's the key to contentment. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now I'm going to tell you the key to contentment. And the the words are not in that passage, but they're implied there. The key to contentment is eternal life. Now, what I don't mean is life that lasts forever. When I say the key to contentment is eternal life, I mean it in the way Jesus taught it or taught it in his prayer to the Father when he was with 
the 12 or the 11 for the last time in the upper room in John 17. And what does he, how does he define eternal life? Eternal life, he says, is knowing the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is eternal life. That is the key to contentment. Knowing God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. What, what do we mean by that? Let me tell you this parable of this kingdom to help us to understand this. Imagine a very powerful kingdom. And the kingdom is so great because of the greatness of its king. But not only is this king great, but his son, the prince, is equally great. They rule like no other kings before them or any that would come after them. And it's a well-known fact in this kingdom that the relationship between the father, the king, and the son, the prince, is like none other. They are so tight, they are so one, personally and in their reign, that they are basically un... <coughs> un um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's difficult to distinguish between the two. Well, one day the father of this... Kingdom, the father of the son, the king of this great kingdom, sends his son into a foreign land clothed in rags to to hide his uh, to hide who he is, and he's unknown by the people he encounters. And as he's walking through this market in this foreign land, he walks by a group of men who are actually talking about his father, the king. And so he stops and he casually enters himself into this conversation. Not letting anyone know who he is. And as he's listening, he hears them speak in generalities about his father, this king. And they speak of stories that they've heard passed down. And, but it's obvious to the prince that they don't really know him. They've heard of him. And as he listens, he understands why his father has sent him out. And what can we say about these men in this circle, the men that are speaking about the king? And what can we say about the prince as well? None of those men knew or knows the king. They only know of generalities. They only know of what they've heard and repeating the stories about them. The only one in that circle who truly knows the king is his son, the prince. He's always known him. He's known him from the beginning. He shared in fellowship with him all of his days. He knows his character. He knows his joy, his laughter. He's eaten meal after meal with him. He's spent long journeys with him. The son is the only one who knows the father in a way that no one else could understand or know his father. Now, Matthew 11, what we read says this, Jesus speaking. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. And later in John 17, which we read, Jesus would say in praying to the Father, I know you. Now that's the setup. This is, this is part of the key to contentment. Millions, if not billions of people today stand around with some tiny sense of who God is. 
some minuscule piece. They see the beauty of a sunset. And like those men who spoke in generalities and have heard of the stories, they get just a little bit of knowledge of who God is. But it's not enough to truly know him. Now here's the important thing I want to click with you today in your mind, in your heart. It's my prayer that it changes your life forever and the way you look at the world, the way you look at scripture. And it's the only way that contentment works. We must move past the simpleness of saying that Christianity is just about saving people from hell. Or just simply getting people saved. It is so much more than that. It's not less than that. But it's so much more than that. Christianity is so much. It's about an intimate and eternal fellowship and worshiping of the triune God, the creator of yourself in the sunset. It's how the Bible began and it's how the Bible ends. It begins in the garden with satisfaction and joy in God and all of his things. And it ends in paradise with God and all of who he is. It doesn't, the Bible doesn't end and say, congratulations, you didn't go to hell. No, in fact, it says something greater. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Why? Because God is in their presence. This is what the Son was sent to do. This is the work of the Son to make God known. Jesus, the Son, came not just to save us, but ultimately in Him saving us, He is making God known to us to bring unworthy sinners back into relationship, reconciled relationship and fellowship with the Father through the Son. Because here's what you have to understand. Oh, the whole point of that parable was to show that there is a relationship between the Father and the Son that is unspeakable. It is unspeakable. Like we can't even begin to understand. You think about the closest relationship you've ever seen between a father and a son. And multiply that times infinity to understand the love and joy and fellowship between the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And God sent the Son not not to remove your sin so you don't go to hell, but to sanctify you and perfect you so that you can be brought out of the world into that relationship between the Father and the Son. You see, to know God in Jesus Christ whom he has sent. No one knows the Father except the Son 
And no one knows the Son except the Father and and Him whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Jesus came to show us God. To reveal to us. To... How does he say it in Revelation? I'm sorry, in Hebrews. Long ago, many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the the exact imprint of his nature. See, the prince, going back to our parable, the prince says in humility... I will t- to, to the men, to the group of men who are talking about the king. He says, I will take you to the king. I will take you and you will truly know his majesty and his might, his power and his rule, his just and his, lo- his justice and his love. You won't just talk about him in generalities. You will know him if you follow me. Follow me and I will show you the king. I will make him known. And he takes, he takes those men to the king. But not only does he take those men to the king into his presence and in fellowship, but he makes them citizens of the kingdom. But not just citizens of the kingdom. He makes them sons of the king. Heirs to the kingdom through the son. And what has happened to these men Inevitably, they are changed forever. For they know the king. They know who he is. Not just about him. But they've been in his presence. And they are now called sons and fellow heirs with the prince. And what's this got to do with contentment? Well, after the son brought these men into the presence of the king. And they have been adopted as sons. What happens next? So the king sends them back out into their land. He sends them home. And he says, you must continue living in your foreign land. But understand this. And the king stands up. He stands upon his throne. And with his words, he makes a promise. And he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So go. Go back into the world. And you have my words. You have me. And my word is true. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so what did they do? With confidence, they left. They went back to their land. And all the way home and every day for the rest of their lives, they confidently said, the king is on our side. The Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? I will not fear. So there's three things to take away from I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Three quick things. Number one, in finding contentment, It is an act of faith. It is an act of faith. And what do I mean? I mean it is an act of trusting the promise of God. Believing the king when he says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. 
You have, Christian, you've been promised by God that He will go nowhere. He will not turn His back on you. He will not leave you for the, uh, the, the buzzards. He will not leave you abandoned for Satan and the schemes of the devil. Notice the prefixes in this passage in verse 5 and 6. These are two Old Testament quotes. You understand that, right? In the end of 5 and the beginning of 6. It starts with, For he has said, and then he quotes, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then the response of verse 6 says, So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. What do we have there? You put those two prefixes together. For he has said, so we can confidently say. What is that? That's faith. That's trusting in the word of God. What is the word of God? I am God. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so with confidence, you say, the Lord is my helper. I'm not going to fear. What are they going to do to me? What are they going to do to me? That's trust. That's faith. Faith is living in the assurance and the confidence in the things hoped for. Isn't that what propelled Moses to lead Israel on the dry land as the waters surrounded them? Is that not the same thing that led Abraham to leave all that he knew and follow God into the unknown? Is it not the same thing that caused Joshua and the Israelites to march around the walls of Jericho? It was trusting and believing that what God said he would do, he would do. Why did they trust him? Because in speaking to them, he made himself known. They knew God. I want you to understand they knew God because he had revealed himself to them. It wasn't words floating through the air that they thought, you know what, that's going to work. We'll give it a shot. They trusted the word of God because they knew God. You cannot say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me if you do not know The God who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God hasn't only saved you from your sin and the wrath to come, but through Jesus Christ, he has come to you and made himself known. That is eternal life. And so what is the theme of Hebrews? Listen to the Son. Follow him, obey his word, do not neglect him, for you will miss this great salvation. To find contentment in God is an act of faith. Two two more things, protection and satisfaction. Contentment comes to those who trust in the protection of God. What's the exhortation? Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. You have to understand, if you're going to attempt to keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, you have to understand that there is evil at work in this foreign land to tempt you to do the very opposite of that thing. 
God or, or Satan has a target on your back the same way he did Eve. Same way. The pattern holds today. And what God has commanded, what is good to have and what is bad, if we're left to ourselves, if we're left out in the open, outside of the protection of God, we are doomed to eat what is forbidden. We're bound to be discontent and seek contentment in the things of the world if we do not find refuge in this great God. He is our protector. And how does the Lord protect us? He acts as our fortress, but he also gives you weapons. He, he shields you in defense and equips you for offense. You understand that? He sends you out to fight the battle with the weapons of war that you need to engage. But there are some times when you fought and fought and fought and you have to retreat for a moment. Where do you retreat? You retreat to the fortress of Almighty God. And why do you retreat? For rest. To go back out and be offensive with the weapons of God. What is that weapon? Well, in Hebrews, he tells us it's the Spirit of God given to you. Okay, just to say it is such an understatement. He equips us with his word by his spirit written on our minds and hearts. If you send out a if you send out a soldier to go fight with a weapon and you have not trained him, is he gonna be in bad shape? What else does a soldier need to do? Continually being trained and equipped and built up. So not only are we equipped with the right weapons, he trains us and equips us to continue to get better and better and better. And we understand that he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Mighty fortresses are God. A bulwark never failing. The enemy comes and will attack. They will seek to convince you that God is not enough, that Jesus is not, will not satisfy you. They will try to persuade you that God is holding back, that you can have more if you just take one more bite of this or that. You know, I think the Hebrews, the audience of this letter, were in a, well, I don't think, I know, they're in a different situation from us. The warning to them was different, and I think is why verse 6 is a little strange for us. So we're trying to keep ourselves free from the love of money, be content. God will never leave us nor forsake us. The Lord is our helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Well, man's not doing anything to me. Well, they were to this to this group. They were, they were taking their possessions illegally because they were Christians. You understand that? They were possessing their lands, putting them in jail because they were in Christian, they, because they were Christians. And so what's, what's the problem there for the Hebrews? To think, oh, the stuff is important. The riches are important. The land that we're losing is important. But he's saying, no, no, no. Be content with what you have, even if they take all that you have. Because why? I'm God. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm your helper. Man can't do anything to you. Yes, they can take your land. They can steal your car. They can, they can 
freeze your bank accounts. They could even put you to death. But they cannot, cannot do anything to you. So we're in the opposite situation. All the people around you say, oh, you need, you need, you need. Have more, have more, have more. See me, I have this. You need it too. And if you don't, they look down on you. Who cares what man says about what you have or what you don't have? Because you have, point number three, satisfaction in God Almighty through Jesus Christ. When you are tempted by the evil one to seek more, when your flesh begins to feel discontent, let the Spirit of God speak to you and say, What more do you need? You know the God of the universe. He's washed you, cleansed you, redeemed you, justified you, adopted you, and promised to never leave you nor forsake you. The Spirit of God says, You don't need anything else. Be content with what you have. You... And then the enemy, no, you need more money. You need more stuff. No, no, Ephesians Ephesians 1 says, I'm an heir of the richest inheritance ever. I have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Or maybe the enemy says, surely you're not satisfied in your marriage, the way he treats you, the way she treats you. Oh, even in the marriage bed. Look, look over there. Look at him. Look at her. Look at the forbidden woman. Find fulfillment. See, she's there on the corner. Oh, no, she's on your phone and on your computer. And you say, the Spirit of God says, no, no, I don't need satisfaction in someone else. I don't need, I don't need an affair. I don't need to seek pleasure. I am a, I'm beloved by Christ. I am his bride. And so, therefore, I will love my wife the way Christ has loved me. <coughs> How can you stand in this world and be content? And I pray it's because you have eternal life. I pray it's because you know God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. Is this not the point of Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Because what does he do? He satisfies me with water and green grass. He brings me. He brings me to a banquet. He keeps me and protects me no matter where I go. So to conclude, we repeat the exhortation. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. But I also will say keep your life free from lust. Keep your life free from anger. Keep your life free from greed and dishonesty. Keep your life pure. For in Christ, you have all that you will ever dream, desire, or need. And if you, if you don't understand that, if you do not find that satisfaction, then you need to cry out to God and say, show yourself to me. I must know you because that which I'm trying to find satisfaction in is giving me nothing. I am hungry and needy. I need to know you.
Christian, know that you have protection and satisfaction in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And know that he is your God and you are his people. John writes his epistle. He starts by saying, basically, I'm paraphrasing, we've seen God. John writes in 1 John, we've seen God. Not only did we see him and he make himself known to us, the apostles, we looked directly upon him and we even touched him. That's the testimony that the apostles proclaimed. And he goes on to say this. We have proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made known to us, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, the apostles. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. So what's the response to that this morning? It's faith. It's believing in what God has said. To trust in the promise of God for eternal life through Jesus Christ. And for us who have done that and who trust in him, to live by that faith. No matter if we have a lot or a little. No matter if we feel satisfied in the things around us or we don't. We remember that by faith we find protection and satisfaction in the Lord God Almighty. Now and forever. Pray with me. Father, would you bring forth growth, bring forth growth and fruit? Bring forth eternal life. And those who hear your word this morning. Lord, you know each situation and heart. And I pray that you would reveal to each and every one of us where we find ourselves discontent. May you, may you convict the one who does not know you but calls on your name this morning. And might they know that just calling upon your name apart from you knowing them is useless. I pray that you would reveal yourselves to all from young to the old. And so that in the revelation of who you are, that they would call upon your name in truth by faith. Jesus' sake, we ask this. Amen. All right, let's sing one more hymn. Let's stand and turn to 176. 176. In the black hymnal. Take your eyes to verse 3. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise.
Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only first in my heart, high king of heaven, my treasure thou art. Verse 4, high king of heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joy, O bright heaven's sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. Respond to the Lord in faith this morning. King of Kings this morning and every day, now and forever. Uh, so thankful that you all are here, and you should be too, because there's so much good food in the back. And so I want to ask that you all stay and enjoy and fellowship with one another, and let us grow in our relationships and in Christ together as we break bread and laugh and find joy. Uh, if you look on the back of your bulletins, there are a few things 
to notice, especially on the calendar and announcements. Next week, we, uh, Lord willing, we will do May Catechism question, which is written there. Uh, you could go ahead and, and look at that this week and the, uh, the verses that go along with it. A couple quick things on the calendar and the announcements. Um, men's meeting will start back up this Thursday at 5.30 a.m. this Thursday as we continue the godly man's uh, picture. Uh, that'll be this Thursday at 5.30 a.m. Women, y'all will be gathering for your women's fellowship at 9 a.m. on Saturday. Next Sunday, when we get done, uh, anyone who desires to take part in our evangelism and outreach at the Fulton County Homecoming, stay after and we'll have a quick meeting uh, to sort of get some things going and moving in the right direction. Uh, and so we'll spend about 15 minutes together after service next Sunday. That's the 7th. Um, members meeting that evening at 5 p.m. Uh, <clears throat> Mother's Day is this month. Mother's Day is this month. Just letting you guys know. Okay, so there's no evening service that day. That would be the 14th. That'd be two Sundays, I believe, from uh, today. Yeah, two Sundays from today. Church cleanup there at the end of the month, and then the evangelism and outreach at the Fulton County Homecoming will be the last Saturday of the month. That's the 27th, and we'll have some more details and get everybody moving in the right direction on that and being in preparation and prayer for it. Um, again, let's eat together. Let's fellowship together. Let's let's when we take a bite and we say, mm, that's so satisfying. Let's think about how satisfying the Lord Jesus Christ is with every every bite or drink of Pepsi. Let's give thanks to the to the fulfillment that we have in Jesus Christ. OK, um, let me pray. I ask the Lord to bless. We will close with the benediction and the doxology, and then we will begin to eat. Father, would you bless our food? We give thanks for all who have taken time to uh, to bring forth a family favorite. And might we might we see your uh, your beauty and glory in all the different things that have been brought today? Might we find satisfaction in what you provide for the things of this earth? Um, they are good to those who do them and partake of them and of, to the glory of Jesus Christ. And it is our goal this, this morning, this afternoon, is to fellowship in the name of Jesus Christ and bring him glory. So bless our food, our fellowship, uh, the rest of our day. Um, and please hear our prayer. Receive our offerings of praise, uh, Lord, all for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Now may the God of peace... Who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures. Here below, praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.
worst day. Enjoy, enjoy lunch. Oh, 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 yeah. See, see, I done left it out. Thank you. <laughs> All right, y'all are dismissed.